Welcome to the Joe Watt Podcast. I am Joe Vendramini from the University of Florida Range Cattle Research and Education Center. And today our guest is Mr. Chris Hardy from Tifland, Florida. Chris, thanks for being with us. You're very welcome. Uh, Chris, I'd like you please to give a little introduction and background information about you. Okay. I uh, am a fifth generation cattleman in this area. We, uh, My family's been here since the middle 1800s. Uh, initially, we were a diversified agricultural operation, and my dad had a particular interest in purebred animals. So we started very early uh, in developing purebred breeds or having purebred breeds, uh, starting first with some Herefords right after World War II. Uh, began our Angus program in 1956, started breeding the uh, Brangus cattle in the early 70s, and then the composite cattle in the other 2000, in about 2000. And uh, during the whole time of that, we've always had some commercial cattle, which kept us very grounded to the industry. And Chris, what do you think are the changes that have happened in this purebred um, business in the last 30 years? The last 30 years would take us, uh, we're, we're approaching, uh, you know, 2020, so we're talking almost like uh, late 1980, 1990. Uh, information by a long, by, uh, I guess, would for sure the information that we retrieve on the animals. Uh, the information that is required. Uh, we started weighing cattle in 1963 and taking weaned weights and then yearling weights and scrotals. And then in 1991, I believe, we started taking ultrasound measurements on cattle. So we've been doing that for a long time. But it's quite customary now that all of those are, are needed and they're necessary or we use them. Uh, the change that we see is that there's been somewhat a separation in purebred breeders. Uh, I think the seed stock people are one of maybe three types. One that uh, they think that they feel that their calling is to serve the commercial cattle industry in providing a product that will provide a good meat animal product that has the potential of being profitable. The other one is the one that uh, that often emphasizes show cattle and likes the exhibition route. And then there are those people that try to do all three. Uh, the challenge is it's, it's difficult to serve three masters or two masters. So, uh, you know, we, we do see the input cost. Uh, the, the, those are big. Those are the uh, a lot more work is being done by us and others as well in terms of embryo uh, transfer. AI work, uh, the marketing of animals has changed. Uh, there's so much information out there. I think one of the big challenges is trying to educate our customers as to what has happened and to try to keep them in tune as to what works best in their environment. I, we have changed these animals so much in terms of size I think that we have almost forgotten that they've got to work within our resources. And so that is a challenge in itself in getting the right cattle to the right people. Do you think that the customers are the same or similar or they also change it over time? Some have changed. Uh, it's interesting. We, we sell about 170 to 190 bulls per year. We have people that are very well prepared in, in making bull selections. We have some that do some homework. 
and we have others that I'm somewhat disappointed that they do not uh, ask for more information, they do not use the information, or they do not have a disciplined approach in improving their counter or, or supplying the bull needs for their counter. And, and Chris, in these uh, new genetic markers and tools that we have in the industry, how that impacted your purebred operation? We uh, we like the new tools that are there, uh, and I, I guess specifically you're talking about genomics testing and some of that. Correct. Uh, we are proceeding with caution. Mm -hmm. uh, genetics and genetic improvement is a slow process. We, uh, we're, we're learning more, and I think the people that are doing the research and providing the tools are gaining some grounds. We still feel like that individual performance on the animal is very, very significant because it validates the EPD. And the EPDs, we have to remember, were developed uh, based on the breeding values that were based on actual measurements and recorded weights and quantitative measurements. So all those the new tools that we have need to be validated before we go wholesale on those. And I, I think they're a tool. It's another piece of the, of the puzzle, and you use those. Uh, but, but you need to validate it with, with real substantial uh, quantitative measurements to make improvements. And talking about these measurements, Chris, we have seen a big trend towards these bigger ribeye areas a lot of emphasis in the ribeye areas and here in florida we are a maternal state mm -hmm. so we have cow calf so tell me what is your perception of how those measurements uh, impact or may impact our cow herd here in florida yes that's a good question john i think it, it's we have experienced it ourselves and uh, in the in the 80s we had were working with a breed that we felt like really needed a lot more muscle and it was not single trait selection, but we really emphasized large ribeyes. And in that particular line of the cattle that we were developing and working with, we almost killed the maternal animal. There are certain antagonisms that exist within breeding of animals. And uh, usually, if you get extreme muscle, you give up maternal. You give up uh, some. You give up some reproduction. You give up milk. And uh, we, we saw that happening. So the word that a lot of us like to use, and it's an easy word to say and one that's difficult to achieve, and that is balance. Because you can get too far out there in, uh, in reaching for excessive muscle that will lead you to a set of cattle that are later maturing, perhaps heavier at birth, uh, and cattle that uh, perhaps... Uh, and I, I think you also have to look that sometimes those cattle that get that far out there are not as easy doing cattle. Uh, they may be genetically predisposed for to have more size than we can can take care of in our state. So you, you have to be cautious. There is a place for the heavy muscle cattle. And uh, this is where I think people design breeding programs. They use sires that are balanced and have some maternal value to keep replacements out of keep them in the business, and then have that set of cows that you may not want to keep daughters out of, that you use the heavy muscle bulls on to, to increase pay weight and, and market value on those calves. 
And in those lines, Chris, you mentioned to us when we started that you had the angles, the brangles, and now you have the composites. Can you tell us what is the situation right now in your breed operation, the breeds that you have and the work that you are doing with those breeds? We still maintain a, a strong Angus herd that we've had that's been ongoing since 56. Uh, we, we feel like you need some boss indica, some Brahmin in these cattle, so we maintain some Brahmin cattle, or not Brahmin, but some Brangus cattle as well for that influence, for adaptability. The one thing that we felt like we were missing was efficiency, and I think this is one of the areas that's going to be paramount in the future, and that is the economic efficiency in, in these animals. So we kind of did like the chicken and the hog people and added a third breed, and we added the Charolais because the Charolais people have done a very have done a good job uh, sometimes with limited data and have improved those cattle they've reduced the, the birth weight in them uh, the cattle are high yielding cattle they're cattle that are efficient and they have built some extra maternal and reproduction in those cattle that we did not see before so we wanted to use similar phenotypic types of brahmin angus and charlays in breeding and composite that gave us a high degree of sustained heritability, which is the closest thing to a free lunch that we're ever going to get in the cow business, is a heterosis that has been proven at Ona and the university back in the 60s and 70s. And we did not learn some of those lessons very well. And these cattle have worked very, very well for us. With a, you know, The reproductive rates are incredible. The cattle gain well. They feed well. And we're able to maintain carcass quality in them as well. So it's, it's, it's been a neat journey with those animals. And can you please uh, describe to us what specifically are in those composites, the, the proportion we, of blood? We so have uh, trademarked a couple of lines. One we call baseliners, which we feel like is a final product that works very well for the industry. And also in, our, in the subtropical region. Uh, and that is an animal that is three sixteenths Brahmin, nine sixteenths Angus, and a quarter Charolais. So you maintain the boss Indicus for, for some adaptability. Uh, you've got the Angus that should give us some value in, in uh, carcass quality and some maternal value. And then with the Charolais, we get some added efficiency and muscle expression and that works in those cattle. Uh, we've also got another group that we uh, maintain half Charolais in. And people that have no Charlay in those cattle can use those bulls or those cows to put just a quarter continental in them, which is very acceptable in today's industry. And Chris, we are going towards the end of our interview here. I'll have three questions for you. Okay. Um, if you have to select the two forage species that work well for you here, which one would be? We're in uh, kind of some ugly country in Florida. I, we've always felt like the best cow country in Florida is north of I-10 or south of I-4, and we're sitting in between. Uh, we really like some of the improved uh, Bahia's, uh, Tifton 9, Tif Quick. Uh, some of those work very well for us and take it. And the old Bermuda grass, some of the Bermudas, when we do have the right conditions, work us very, very well also. So, you know, we, th those are kind of staples that we work with. And my second question, probably you have already answered those, but if I have to ask you to select just two breeds that you think will go well for us here in Florida, uh, which one would you pick? That's difficult. I'm not sure I can I can intelligently, intelligently answer that. Uh, 
because we've had the Angus cattle here so long, we've got an adapted herd of Angus. Most people do not, and that is not. You got to have some Brahmin in these cattle, uh, and depending on your location or your resources depends on what. We really like the inclusion of the the Charlay and what has happened there. So I, I'm going to fudge a little bit. And I'm going to say Brangus and Charlay. Okay. And that's a good answer and very popular one. <laughs> <laughs> and Chris, when you are not at work here, working your operation, uh, what do you like to do, like as a hobby with your kids or grandkids? And we we still like to hunt and fish a little bit. Uh, I've often said we don't manage this place; it manages us. So a lot of it revolves around it. Uh, we do have grandchildren now, so our have our hobbies involve somewhat you know going and visiting grandkids i do want to wear out a fly rod i really would like to wear out a fly rod <laughs> okay and, and chris i'd like to thank you very much for being part of the podcast today and i am joe vendramini joe what